0: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits. Long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Monday. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Bai, the virtual intelligence
2: assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results.
0: Let me help protect you. Contact me at Just Ask By. That's vi.com.
2: And here we go.
1: My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution to use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. This is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull.
2: It is Devious Motives. I am Brett Wooderbull. It is uh, wonderful to be spending this time with you. You know what? Look, we know what the story is, right? The story is you've got the debate happening. The debate is happening. The debate happened. It's a big thing. It's a big deal. We had the debate last week with the president and the vice president. They hated each other. It was a grudge match. It was everything that you would expect it to be. And now we have, ladies and gentlemen, we have a, a, a course number two, the vice presidential debate taking place in Utah, moderated by uh, Susan Page and, of course, Uh, Vice President Biden and uh, Senator Harris will be there squaring off. I'm not going to be able to I'm not going to give you any analysis that you don't probably already know. Save for this. Save for this. Kamala Harris has an uphill climb to defend her position. She has an up, 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 uphill climb to defend her position. Facts, 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 all caps, because she's going to have to defend the Green New Deal at a time when Pennsylvania is going to be important. You've heard that from the president. She's also going to have to defend uh, the, the the bailing out of looters uh, who were part of the rioting that took place uh, back in the early George Floyd days and, and have carried on all the way to this very moment. She's going to have to d- defend a lot of different positions that are really uncomfortable. And we have to remember, uh, she is going to be remembered with all the flashback videos in the next 10 days for her antics, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to use the word antics, with, uh, of course, Brett Kavanaugh, when she questioned his, his very his very ability to even be a Supreme Court justice because he was the second coming of the devil. Th- that's that's what's going to happen. So we'll wait and see what happens tonight, but I want to look back to yesterday, and I want to look forward to a couple of other things. By the way, at, after our break, you know, we usually take a break about 15 minutes past, after our break, We will be joined by Dinesh D'Souza, who we have got a bunch of questions for, including I want to ask him what it was like to be staring down the barrel of the Obama Justice Department. And I want to know what it was like uh, to 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 be able to uh, come through that fight, what the Democrats have planned for us vis-a-vis Democrat socialism. Dinesh is from India. He chose to emigrate to the United States. He's got a compelling personal story. I have uh, emceed events with him in the past back on the West Coast. But you know what else I just mentioned? It's very important. And I'm going to ask him about this. I don't know if anybody's asked him about this. M- many people in the media are not as sentient as I am. I am going to ask Dinesh D'Souza, how, how can you come from India and be a conservative and, and Kamala Harris uh, be of Indian heritage, right? We know her, her mother was uh, Indian and her father was Jamaican. How can how can the two of them, how can Dinesh and Kamala uh, kind of sync up in terms of values and politics? Because many, many, many uh, American Indians, and I, I mean that not as Native American Indians, but uh, Americans of Indian descent or uh, Indian Americans who have uh, come to our country to join our family are very conservative, very pro-capitalist um and I want to know, kind of like, how it is that gets all squared away. So, we certainly have a lot of content that we're going to be talking about in that part of the debate, in that part of the discussion here on Devious Motives. It is the Devious Motives uh, podcast, and it's great to be here with you. Oh my gosh! Last night, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, Joe Biden comes out, gives a speech, and and lays it on the line for you people. Make sure that you people understand. A mask is not a political statement. It's a way to keep yourself safe from a horrible virus ravaging us. Listen
1: to Joe Biden right there. It's estimated that nearly another 210,000 Americans could lose their lives by the end of the year. Enough. No more. Let's just set partisanship aside. Let's end the politics and follow the science. Wearing a mask... Wearing a mask is not a political statement. It's a scientific recommendation.
2: Oh, boy, it's a recommendation. It's not a mandate. It's not mandatory. You don't have to do it. You don't have to go along with it. You don't have to do any of that sort of stuff. But, but Joe Biden uh, was not satisfied with, with saying, listen, the mask is not a political statement. Unless, of course, you're a governor in one of the states that shut everything down. Do you remember, Andrew Cuomo, you must wear the mask, wear the mask. Uh, you have that goofball. Mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, who literally has a zero percent approval number there in the city of New York, uh, coming out last night and making a Rocky style video, not an Iraqi style video, but a, a Rocky style video where he shows himself kind of lampooning the president of the United States uh, by putting a mask on on the steps of Gracie Mansion. The question I have about Bill de Blasio when he wears the mask is whether or not it can hide the smell of weed and Doritos on his breath, because all that dude does is, is just, is just hit, the, hit, hit the bong all night long. Uh, it is political. The mask is a political statement. It was established as a political statement early on. And I don't mean it was officially established. It was established by progressives as a, as a means of protest and a means of subjugation of conservatives. And you may not agree with that. But if if you're a progressive, you're not going to see it that way because you don't see the world through the eyes of the conservatives. Mask mandates, business shutdown mandates, 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 Obamacare mandates. These are values that are anathema to most Americans. We don't want to be told what to do, when to do it, where to go, how to stand, where to sit, where to worship. We're not allowed to worship, but we're allowed to loot. People don't want to hear that. But Joe Biden wasn't done. Here's Joe Biden talking more about the, the protocols, the social distancing, the
1: science social distancing isn't a political statement it's a scientific recommendation testing tracing the development and overall approval and distribution of a vaccine isn't a political statement it is a science-based decision
2: someday when the book is written of the horrible catastrophe that was the chinese communist virus the the COVID 19 uh, people are going to write for years about the PTSD like effects of having been masked and having to walk in certain directions. And you may go up that aisle, but you may not go down that aisle It was positively Soviet. And it may take generations to overcome this. It may take the next generation, not yet born to to overcome this, this, this horror show, this terrible uh, situation under which we have been forced to, to live and and carry on. It is just absolutely disgraceful. But yet again, to hear it from uh, vice president Biden, this is science. This is not political.
1: We can have a national strategy that puts politics aside and saves lives. We can have a national strategy that will make it possible for our schools and businesses to open safely. We can have a national strategy that reflects the true values of this nation. This pandemic is not a red state or a blue state issue. This virus doesn't care whether you live where you live, what political party you belong to, and affects us all. We'll take anyone's life. It's a virus. It's not a political weapon.
2: I do declare that I disagree with Joe Biden, Vice President Joe Biden there, because it is, in fact, a political weapon. The Chinese virus was deployed by China or allowed to escape or was uh, ignored by the Chinese government as all the other countries of the world uh, suffered the ravages of this 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 man-made creation by all by all accounts. It's a man-made creation that uh, either escaped a lab or a wet market or a bat soup stand or whatever it was and changed our lives indelibly for a very, very long time for a very, very long time. But Joe Biden wasn't done. You see, you let Biden pontificate long enough, eventually he starts talking about frontier children becoming presidents, like Lincoln. Frontier children? Who the heck are the...
1: There's another enduring division in America that we must end. The division in our economic life that gives opportunity only to the privileged few. America has to be about mobility. It has to be the kind of country where an Abraham Lincoln, a child of the distant frontier can rise to the highest office in the land.
2: You know what that was? That was proof of stability by Vice President Biden because he wanted people to understand he understood that he was at Gettysburg and that's where Lincoln was uh, once upon a time. Uh, Looking more contemporaneously to what we're dealing with here in the country, uh, and I I think this is absolutely fascinating, the saga, by the way, of what Brennan did, the saga of what— Obama did the saga of what Biden did while the veep of the United States continues to roil. And uh, this morning on the uh, FNF show over there on the FNC, not the DNC, the FNC, uh, DJT Jr., Donald J. Trump Jr., or Donald Trump Jr., came out and opined about the, the, the dirty tricks pulled by John Brennan. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap, Donald? This kind of stuff can't happen in America. This kind of stuff shouldn't happen in third world countries, but it's going on right here. And what's scariest, guys, is that no one seems to care. Now that the media, now that it's against their darling, Obama, uh, you know, they, despite his failed administration, you know, their darling candidate, Joe Biden, despite 50 years of failure in Washington, D.C., with literally no success, uh, certainly not one that anyone could name, you know, now that it's against them, they don't want anything. They're actually outraged that we would want transparency. You got to acknowledge, guys, exactly correct. I mean, you, you, you're, you're this, you're out there trying to knock Donald Trump out of office for four years. And then all of a sudden, when we discover it was all a dirty trick by Hillary Clinton, the dirtiest of the dirty candidates out there. Now, suddenly, nobody wants to know anything about it. Nobody wants to know nothing about it. But I digress. Hey, by the way, uh, in the state of North Carolina, Cal Cunningham's um, sexting stuff is is starting to heat up in a big way. And in the next couple of days, I'm going to talk to you about this Katie Hill story. Remember Katie Hill? She got busted for being part of the thruple with her uh, staffers. They, they had pictures of her sitting naked in a hotel room chair, and she was getting her hair did by her staffer, but he's all nude and naked is just, it's just a, a, a crazy kind of a deal all the way around. Um, she, she's got a movie coming out, and apparently... They're going to the staffers have gotten very angry and they're saying that she was a predator. Holy cow. The weirdness gets weirder out of the state of California. Uh, Michelle Obama has come back onto the scene. And I'm telling you what, I think these are red lights flashing on the dashboard of the Biden Express. Why do I say it? Well, Barack Obama famously in 2016 practically took up residency in the state of North Carolina to try to sell for Hillary Clinton's candidacy with uh, Tim Kaine. Michelle Obama has been deployed awfully early. It is only the 7th, the 7th of October. And she's out waving the flag of panic uh, about President Trump's reelection. And it's not so much that she's being utilized as a messenger. She certainly resonates with a specific group of voters, who are, I think, already pretty much on board with Biden and Harris. But it's the tone of her message. And I want to unpack this before we head on over to check in with Dinesh D'Souza. This is Michelle Obama's message from the last 18 hours or so. And, and she, she is she is somebody who is blowing the dog whistle when it comes to, to, to race and identity politics. It feels very early to be blowing this whistle, the uh, former First Lady Obama. Here's what she said the millions of folks
1: who look like me and fought and died and toiled as slaves and soldiers and laborers to help build this country. Put yourselves in our shoes for just a moment. Imagine how it feels to wake up every day and do your very best to uphold the values that this country claims to hold dear. Truth, honor, Decency, only to have those efforts met by scorn, not just by your fellow citizens, but by a sitting president.
2: Forgive the tone there. It's a little bit of a marker I put in there on the clip. But you know what we have here. in the traditional means of propaganda techniques, there are a number of things that can be utilized to try to uh, get people to come to your uh, agreement uh, or to come to agreement on your on your proposition. Two of them, two of them are quite powerful appeals to fear, which seek to build support by instilling anxiety and panic in the general population. Right. Um, Remember uh, when Goebbels was in Germany, I'm not comparing her to Goebbels, but just to give you an example. uh, You had Goebbels running around saying that the allies were invading Germany to extinguish the exterminate the German people. But even more than that, I think this is an appeal to prejudice when it comes to the voters. And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying about racial prejudice, but when you use loaded or emotive terms to attach value or a moral goodness to believing the proposition, with the implication being that if you don't believe that proposition, you are not good. It feels like that's what she was doing there. And if they're going to pull that that sort of fire handle this early, something's got to be up, folks. Something has got to be up. Uh, I want to hit you with one final uh, clip that I think is fascinating and speaks to the culture. And then we are going to go over to Dinesh D'Souza uh, right after that. Adam Silver sat down. He is the commissioner of the National Basketball Association, sort of speaking, uh, st- sticking with the, the, the theme of, of, of the racial politicking that exists in the country right now. Uh, Adam Silver, whose ratings have been putrid in the NBA by any stretch of the imagination, you have four million people watching the NBA finals. Um, that's a terrible number. That's a horrible number. Let me give it to you by way of example. There have got to be people who are African-Americans who are watching, who are Latinos, Asian, multi-ethnic, and, and, and some measure of whites, right? African-Americans make up 44 million out of the three hundred and twenty five million people that are in the United States, four million people are watching the NBA finals, which has been wrapped and basted and covered in social justice. What, what does that tell you? That, that tells you that if everybody watching was somebody who was a believer in the Black Lives Matter movement in the black community, you've only got 10 percent of the population watching it. That's not the case because there are plenty of people who are African-Americans who are not watching uh, the NBA because they don't like the messaging. But Adam Silver has felt the sting. And this is what he says. It's important for me to play this for you. This is what Adam Silver says about the upcoming season in the NBA. He's worried they're going to take the imaging off
1: the court. I would say in terms of the messages you see on our court, on the jerseys, this was an extraordinary moment in time mm-hmm. when we when we began the discussions with the players and what we all lived through this summer. My sense is there'll be somewhat a return to normalcy, that those messages will largely be left to be delivered off the floor. And I understand those people who are saying, I'm, I'm on your side, but I want to watch a basketball game.
2: Your key takeaway, if the NBA is backing down, it's bad for business and maybe politics. I'm Brett Witterbull. You're listening to Devious Motives.
1: You're listening to Devious Motives. Listening to Devious Motives. Very
2: happy to be joined uh, by this next guest. He is Dinesh D'Souza, talking about his brand new project, his brand new film, Trump Card. And uh, welcome to the show, Dinesh. It's good to have you on.
0: Thank you. I'm delighted
2: to be on the show. Uh, look, you have a unique perspective. Uh, Trump Card deals with a lot of issues, but but one of the most important ones is you know this is this run amok national security establishment, the deep state, uh, as as some folks call it. You've run head to head with these folks, the corrupt, the powerful uh, coming after you for political gain. I would ask you to sort of uh, juxtapose uh, your experience and, and the story of this film with what we've learned in these last uh, 24, 48 hours from uh, John Brennan uh, briefing the president about the Hillary Clinton sham Russia collusion narrative. I mean, this is an unbelievable thing, and your film couldn't be more timely in talking about all these elements.
0: Yes, I mean, I had the uh, good fortune or maybe bad fortune of being a forerunner to all this. My case is small potatoes compared to what happened to Michael Flynn and Trump himself. Um, But in my case, you know, sitting across from these Eric Holder guys, the Obama prosecutors, And I got the very clear sense that if they could lock me up for 30 years, they would do it. In other words, they don't see me as a dissident or someone who disagrees with them. They see me as an enemy. And that's the mentality, that's the essential backdrop for how these people operate. So now we are realizing that, you know, probably Obama gave the order. Hillary may have been the instigator, and Obama's the one who signed off on this, because it's almost inconceivable that Clapper and Comey and Strzok and Page we're all just independently acting. No, someone was coordinating this effort. And the only question is, once we find out, once we have the documentation, then what? Are we just going to discuss it, talk about it, know about it? Or is somebody going to bring out some indictments and some handcuffs?
2: You have been a tremendous evangelist for the American way, American values, capitalism, free enterprise, all those things that We frankly have taken for granted for far too long in this country, assuming they would always be there. We are now standing on the cusp of this uh, election campaign. Uh, You have a a, a person in Vice President Biden who who has been the deepest of the deep staters, who has been the swampiest of the swampy senators and vice presidents. Um, And and we are facing a, a very dangerous time. Uh, which may lead to the end of the economic system that we have all taken for granted, the capitalist system, we may be moving towards democratic socialism. How does that make you feel, especially uh, being somebody who chose to emigrate to the United States, who chose this nation and, and and has fought so hard to preserve it, even against some of the worst, uh, worst inclinations of our own domestic uh, American soil-born uh, uh, leftists? I mean, it's an incredible thing, Dinesh.
0: Well, I was um, I was raised under socialism, you know, and the left has to say, well, we don't want um, authoritarian socialism of Mao or Stalin. We want democratic socialism. Well, to be honest, I was raised under democratic socialism in India in the 1970s. And I remember our family had a ration card which told us we could buy only so much rice and only so much cooking oil and only so much sugar. There was a seven year waiting list to get a phone. So socialism, to me, meant misery, scarcity, India being the begging bull of the world. My wife is from Venezuela. That's a once oil-rich country, a capitalist country that has now gone into the, the dumps because it embraced a socialist model under Hugo Chavez. So I know it doesn't work. And when I came to America, I saw ladders of opportunity, not just the prospect of economic success, but the chance to write the script of my own life. And my politics is based on that. So now I see socialism, this discredited idea that' collapsed 25 times all around the world in Russia and China and India, is now making a bizarre, twisted comeback in the United States and is being promoted by a major party, and a very corrupt politician who's at the head of it right now, Joe Biden, a guy who's been running the sort of Biden family racket for a generation. It's very disturbing. And I'm just relying on the good sense of the American people to see through it and to recognize that they are that if they sign up for this, it will be to their detriment.
2: Do you uh, how do you react when you hear these admonitions that come from people like AOC? Uh, well, that's really not fair because I think AOC is an intellectual lightweight on economic issues. Uh, but, but when it comes from Bernie Sanders or when it comes from Elizabeth Warren, now obviously Kamala Harris and 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 Joe Biden, when they talk about the the, the singing successes of the Northern European socialist uh, democracies, right? They always they always point to Denmark as a socialist uh, a country. They always point to uh, Norway and Sweden. Can you disabuse that narrative a little bit for this audience? Because I'm sure uh, that this Green New Deal is going to be sold under those auspices once again.
0: Well, the truth of it is that the Scandinavian countries are capitalist in wealth creation and socialist in wealth distribution. But even on the wealth distribution side, they impose the pain or the cost on the whole society. In fact, they have a value added tax called the VAT the VAT, which falls disproportionately on the poor. The poor and the middle class pay a higher proportion of the tax than rich people. So this is not a model that is even attractive to the American left. They don't want it. And the proof of this is that if you look at where leftists in this country go, where they travel, Bernie Sanders honeymooned where? In, in, not in Stockholm, he honeymooned in Moscow. <laughs> when, when Michael Moore wanted to show a healthcare system, he didn't go to Norway, he went to Cuba. So Bernie Sanders has never been to Scandinavia, even though he's part of Scandinavian. So the bottom line of it is they just keep invoking Scandinavia because that appears vaguely to be the one place where socialism sort of works. But their real model is the Venezuelan model. And the proof of this is that the left in this country has identity socialism, by which I mean socialism married to identity politics. They do racial division. They do gender division. They attack colonialism. Now, think of it. They, they pull down Columbus statues in America. They pull down Columbus statues in Venezuela. They demonize the rich in America. They demonize the rich in, in Venezuela. But by the way, they don't do these things in Scandinavia. No one's pulling down Columbus statues. They don't have Antifa in Norway or in Denmark. So the Scandinavian model is just inapplicable to the United States.
2: Visiting with Dinesh D'Souza, he's got a brand new movie out. You've got to see it. Trump card beating socialism, corruption in the deep state. Uh, it's, uh, it, I believe, it's his most important uh, film that he has done to date, and he has done some some humdangers. So let's get right to it. You, you 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 spoke the magic phrase Antifa. This is a profoundly, uh, it feels to me, a profoundly un-American ideology, uh, an uh, un-American uh, weapon, an un-American vehicle. We we first saw the Black Bloc take to the streets. In 1999 at the WTO in Seattle, this is matured. It was nurtured under the Obama administration, Obama, Biden, with Black Lives Matter being brought into the fold. Now marrying with Antifa and being propelled by, it appears to me, uh, very well-funded uh, millionaires and billionaires who seek to bring about destructive change to the country. Uh, how do you assess this role of Antifa, especially coming up towards Election Day, uh, a little bit over uh, 20, 26 days from now?
0: Now this is the key. Antifa, Black Lives Matter—they're not just hooligans on the street. They have powerful friends in the media. They have powerful friends in Hollywood who put up bail money for them. Um, they have powerful friends in the mayor's office in Portland and Berkeley and even New York City. Uh, so this is a paramilitary that comes with the sanction of a major political party. That's the key difference. You know, we had some—we had riots in the 60s. You had the Weather Underground. But remember, the weather on the ground and the Riders were attacking even the Democratic Party. They disrupted the Democratic Convention in Chicago. So the official Democrats were not on board with this. Now they are. And so if you have to look for paramilitaries on the street that have the approval of a major party, you'd have to go to Mussolini's black shirts uh, in Italy or Hitler's brown shirts in early Nazi Germany to find a parallel. So these are very disturbing developments in America you know, unseen in my lifetime. And I think they reflect both the desperation of the left, its sort of manic desire to gain power, uh, and its willingness to use, by full phrase, any means necessary to do so.
2: We have seen, uh, under uh, a Vice President Biden, the weaponization of the IRS targeting Tea Party groups. We have seen the weaponization of the intelligence community uh, in pushing this fake, phony Russian narrative. Uh, with, with a Biden-Harris administration Uh, Has past been prologue? Will we see this ratcheted up even more against domestic dissidents like you, like me, like the average guy in the street who wants to uh, express their opinion? What's what's your level of fear looking towards uh, them potentially grabbing power, Dinesh?
0: Well, here's how I see it. You know, people say this is the most consequential election of our lifetime. And, and, and that's a phrase we've heard before, so it, it puts in me a little bit of skepticism. But I look at it this way, if Trump loses, the left will do everything that they can to um, make this seem like a regrettable stain on the beautiful canvas of American history. They will look at Trump as a sort of bizarre, ugly phenomenon that just showed up, a blip on the landscape, something that should be eradicated from the face of our history book, something that should never be allowed to happen again, and part of that is to discredit everybody who is associated with Trump. Um, so a campaign of vilification, if you will. Uh, now, if Trump wins, uh, then I see the opportunity to really change American society, kind of the way Reagan did. I mean, I lived through that. Mm-hmm. America in the, uh, at the end of the 1980s was completely different than it was 10 years earlier. And the world was different. You know, the Berlin Wall came crashing down. Eastern Europe was free. The Communist Party dissolved itself. Reagan had a lot to do with all that. So Trump has the opportunity to remake the court, remake the government, expose the deep state, fix some of the things that he hasn't had time to fix yet. The left knows this. This is part of what fills them with tremors. And they're terrified of him. And that's why they're fighting so hard. They're throwing at him everything they
2: got. If Trump gets reelected, do we expect even more viciousness in the streets uh, having the administrative state trying to, 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 to sandbag him and prevent him from being effective in a second term?
0: I don't think that will succeed. I, I think that this is their, this is their um, ultimate uh, attack. I agree there will be a howl of rage if Trump wins again. But at some level, if you think about it, the howl of rage has to be directed at the American people themselves. Because the, because the left can say, well, you didn't know what Trump was going to be like, and now you've seen he's such a dictator, and he's this and he's that. But once the American people have seen and understood Trump, I mean, it's hard for people to say they don't know who Trump is now, right. and they reelect him. That means that democracy has ratified the Trumpian approach, uh, and the left ultimately is going to just have to get used to that.
2: Okay, a, a final question. I opened with the discussion of of deep state, and obviously uh, you coming to the United states, you you being somebody who's who's pushed for conservative values, conservative ideologies um and and been very effective at it only to be targeted by the Obama administration. It's not lost on me that. Here we have uh, you, Dinesh D'Souza, speaking out so strongly and vocally. You've chosen to come here from India to become a citizen, to live here, to be a, a, a participant in our in our republic, in our democracy. And and, and I'm noticing Obviously, that Kamala Harris is is, uh, is somebody who has um, Indian roots, Jamaican roots as well. A, a tale of two people, because I uh, the, the folks, the limited relationships I have had with people who have either emigrated from India or or of uh, Indian background tend to be very conservative, family friendly, uh, focused individuals. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how it is that she becomes somebody uh radicalized i mean in in, in many ways as uh, she she embraces these progressive left-wing beliefs I, is it just being a product of california or is there something deeper there dinesh
0: no you know interestingly there is an indian connection here and even in india there is a sort of separation there are the indians i would call them there is the old residue of indian socialism there are the left-wing intellectuals in Still powerful in Indian academia and in the media. And these are the people who loved the Soviet style five year plans because it put them in charge. It gave them power. But now that India has moved away from socialism, those people are on the outs in India. But Kamala Harris's grandfather was one of those people. And apparently I read an article that he's been one of the most influential figures in your life, you know, kind of provoking her to this kind of activism, so very clearly she is developed in American politics. She's pushing the kind of race and gender cards that American leftists like to pursue. This is very different than the old Indian anti-colonial style, but there's a connection. Remember, even Obama was highly influenced by the anti-colonial ideas of his own father, Barack Obama Sr. from Kenya. And so we have very interesting traces of Kenyan, in the case of Obama, and Asian Indian, in the case of Kamala Harris, influences on their leftist politics.
2: It always comes down to the academics, doesn't it, Dinesh? It always comes down to the, to the way they shape and mold people uh, into their own ideology, right?
0: Well, the left has been doing this for a generation. <laughs> they recognize that if they're going to... They're going to control young people. They need to take over the schools and take over the universities. I think it is actually terribly perilous that we have let them do this because it's going to be very difficult to get this ground back. And this is an agenda, retaking the culture, which goes way beyond Trump.
2: Here's Dinesh D'Souza, amazing documentary, Trump Card, Trump Card. You need to see this. It'll open your eyes. It'll keep you informed. And I am certainly so grateful that uh, he's been here to spend some time with us today. Dinesh D'Souza, all the best, my friend. I look forward to catching up with you on the other side of the election. Thank you very much. My pleasure. That's going to do it for this episode of Devious Motives. If you like it, tell your friends about it. If you uh, want to reach out to us, you can always hit me up. You can be on my Twitter feed, at Winterbull Show, at Winterbull Show. Of course, I've got a Brett Witterbull Show Facebook page as well. And Devious Motives is, of course, a product of the Brett Witterbull Show. And uh, my great people. News Talk 1110993 WBT in Charlotte, North Carolina. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: Devious Motives with
2: Brett Winterbull.